Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's Thursday the 23rd of September and we're entering a period of change for the top level junior single-seater categories in the UK. We'll be exploring this evolving picture in a two-part special podcast and today's focus is on British Formula 4, a series that has helped launch the careers of the likes of Lando Norris, Colton Herter and Oscar Piastri since its creation in 2015. But it's all changed for next year as a new car, new engine, new organiser and new ideas all add up to a very different look to the championship. I'm Autosports Group National Editor and I'm joined today by Autosports Deputy National Editor Stefan Mackley and very special guest Corinne Chantock to explore the British F4 changes. So now Corinne, you're well known as a former Formula 1 driver and TV pundit and probably wanting a break from talking about Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen crashing into each other at Monza. Unfortunately, that's not what this podcast is, is all about. Instead, you've taken on a new role for this year um, by becoming a board member of Motorsport UK, a British motorsports governing body. So before we start talking about F4 specifically, uh, what led you to getting involved with, with Motorsport UK, the organisation? I think, you know, I, I always enjoy... The, um, the concept of giving back to the sport. Um, you know, I've been a member of the FIA's Drivers Commission since 2013. I was part of the you know driver grading committee for for my sins <laughs> to do the 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 tricky gold, silver, bronze grading for GT and sports cars for a couple of years. Um, you know, and, and I think you know I've helped manage young drivers things like that. And for me. I, I think it's important to try and give back to the sport. You know, we we all take a lot of love out of the sport we all take um you know a lot of joy out of the sport and i think it's quite nice to give back for uh, for the future generation so um i i got a call earlier this year from uh, hugh chambers the ceo at motorsport uk asking if 
I'd be interested in getting involved with, um, you know, a review on Formula 4. There were, there were a few things unfolding around F4 with, with Ford pulling out of things. So um, he asked if I'd get involved and just, you know, offer a bit of advice and, and support and my views basically on, on, you know, the structure of Formula 4 in the UK. And as we started working together on that, um, you know, he, he mentioned that the, there were some seats opening up on the board and, um, you know, I quite enjoyed working with the team at MSUK. You know, I think um, David Richards and, and Hugh, are, they've, they're sort of injecting a, a different uh, type of working into the organization, uh, much more proactive, much more dynamic. And um, so I thought that would be interesting to do. So, um, you know, I, I accepted his invitation and uh, and have just, you know, obviously recently joined the board. I think, you know, for for me, I, I've been fortunate that my career has taken me from, as you mentioned, driving and, and television. But, you know, in between, I was also involved with running the Indian Grand Prix. We had the television rights for India where we work with Bernie. So I've seen, you know, that side of the sport, you know, the operations of running um, truck racing for championships, for example, in India. Then, you know, we, we ran uh, Nissan's GT Academy program. So I've got an insight into esports. We ran that for three years. And so I've, I've been fortunate that my sort of working career has taken me across multiple sides of the sport. And that, I think, allows me to to contribute opinion on, on you know, different facets of it. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, um, you know, already it's been interesting to look at um, programs, also including, of course, you know, the, the projects around EDI and the diversity program that's starting to unfold out of MSUK. And, you know, we're trying to, to, to really get at the moment the lay of the land in the UK and see what we can do on that in terms of engaging with schools and, and different, you know, STEM programs. So, yeah, there's lots of, um, lots of different things going on and, um, and it's interesting. I guess it's, it's really good to have someone like Karuna on, on board playing a sort of active role in UK motorsport. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's so important, as Karun said, you know, he's sort of been there and, and done everything within motorsport and to, to sort of give something back. And I think it's it's vitally important. And we're seeing it more and more, I think, with, um, you know, drivers from sort of 10 years ago who were getting more involved with giving stuff back to, you know, the younger generations in motorsport. Um, and having someone of Karun's experience, you know, on the single-seater side is particularly you know, I think he's going to be vitally important for, um, you know, British motorsport and single seaters in this country. You know, his involvement with uh, club level motorsport in India as well. Um, you know, the UK has got a, a great club scene, um, you know, so I'm sure it's not just on the single seater front that he's, you know, he's, his experience is going to be sort of, you know, heard by Hugh and um, Dave Richards at Motorsport UK. I went and took part in my first grassroots motorsport event. I did a... Uh, um... I, I drove a cross car at a at an autocross on a farmer's field in oh, wow. Bishop Stofford a couple of weeks ago, which was great fun. You're right. Yeah, obviously motorsport goes across multiple levels in this country. So um, I thought it was quite quite nice to actually go and, and see what real grassroots arrive and drive with your, you know, it's, it's family, mum, dad, kids, car on a trailer, and they come along and, you know, Two out of the four are sharing sharing the car, and uh, the other two are you know pitching the tent and doing the barbecue, and and uh, it, it was it was a great day out. It you know it was muddy, it rained, the burger van was there. It had all, it ticked all the boxes. Moving on to look at British F four uh, specifically, we always knew at some point there would be this change to the second generation of 
F4 car with the introduction of a halo. And obviously, having said that this podcast isn't about uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, obviously the incident at Monza once again reinforced the the importance of the halo. And this sort of time of major change anyway, I guess it made sense for Motorsport UK to have a much more uh, sort of broad look at the championship more generally and in a whole number of different areas, Kieran, and just sort of taking stock and reassessing the whole the championship as a whole. The second generation of F4 was being rolled out for 2022. And, you know, one of the early conversations was about, you know, the FIA would have allowed dispensation to roll on the existing cars for another season, you know, and the certain championships, I think, will do that. Um, but, you know, when I looked at the landscape and I, I, I asked the question of what does MSUK want to do uh, in terms of where do we want to stand in the global pyramid? And if we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Italians and the Germans and um, and the Spanish championships, um, and, and frankly, now the Middle East championship as well, which is growing, you know, in the winter, they've got good entries. So then we can't be left behind, right? You had to commit to the new car because as soon as you're a year behind, then you're already, you're already seen as, as second grade. So first question was, yes, we have to commit to, to the new car. Second one was, which car do we go with? And, and this is where, when we started looking around, we realized, you know, we put a tender out for the chassis and the engine and, and Ford, you know, declined to, um, to, to, to basically supply, you know, in terms of the way they had been doing in terms of fun. I think a deal could have worked out for them to be an engine partner, but not truly a series partner with the financial backing that they had been doing. So then we, you know, we went through the tender process and, and evaluated, um, you know, tenders that have come in. But what I thought was really important to do was engage with the teams because ultimately the teams are the ones that need to sell this championship to the drivers and, and the teams are the ones that need to commit and put the cars on the grid and invest in the cars and equipment. So, you know, when we were all sitting in that office um, going, you know, what do we think we should do? And I, and we thought, hang on a second, if we were organizing this, and at that time it wasn't if, surely we need to ask the teams what they want. So we invited all the single-seater teams in the UK from existing F4 as well as what was F3, but now GB3 teams um, to the Bister office. And we had, we had a round table and essentially we went around the table and asked the teams what they wanted. And we said, look, these are the tenders. These are the offers that have come through. Um, and I think that was a really important step. And, and what un- un- transpired and unfolded from that meeting is that the teams were quite encouraged by the proactive role that MSUK was taking. And from, to be honest, from there, we kind of, put the building blocks in place to see whether we could, you know, organize and run the championship internally. Um, because then you've got a bit more control, right, over the decisions on, you know, you as much as we can otherwise, if you sit there as not the organizer and say, we think you should have this car, this engine, these tires and run on this package to the four main ingredients. But ultimately, you've got an external promoter, you can, they can do what they want. <laughs> you know, they, they so if we really wanted to build a championship that um, the teams thought it had all the right ingredients, then we had to do it internally. Uh, and that was kind that was a decision making process to doing it. And I thought it was um, it was really interesting talking to teams because you've obviously got a bit of a divide in some areas in terms of the big teams and the small teams, um, you know, the ones 
the likes of the Carlins and high techs have certain views. Um, and then the smaller teams that run only in the UK, for example, and don't have this this entire ladder have a different view on things. So, but but as an independent organization, you have to create a platform that caters for everybody uh, and works for everybody as a business model. So, um, yeah, in the you know that's how the process sort of unfolded. Where we after that meeting, we kind of made the decision of okay, maybe at the time it does seem like the best solution is for us to run it in house. Um, financially, it is going to be a hit. You know, it's going to cost MSUK um, money out of out of the pot because you have to fill the hole that Ford have left. There's there's no hiding that. But if we didn't, you know, what was the choice, right? If you don't do F4, then you fall off the FIA's pyramid in terms of the super license point. And in, in terms of trying to create the pathway to Formula One, you fall off that ladder then if you don't run FIA F4. So either we can, we can all sit here and that's a whole other debate, right? On the podcast, whether super license points are right and whether the system is right and the pyramid is right. That's a whole other podcast. But the reality is that is the system, you know, and, and uh, if you're going to if you're going to com- uh, comply and be a part of a global sport, then you have to be a part of the global system. And I think if we had let FIA F4 disappear in the UK, it would have been hard to get back, you know, onto the onto the global pyramid. So, you know, in the end, we had to make the decision, even though it's going to be a financial net negative initially, um, you know, we had to commit to it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, that, that brings that much increased level of control over a whole range of different aspects and you can create uh, various links with other parts of, of what Motorsport UK is, is doing. At the same time, there inevitably, when there is a change like this, there's always people who are massively in favour and people who are against the, the new direction. So what would you say to those that perhaps have concerns about how Motorsport UK as the governing body is now also stepping in as a as a championship promoter in its own right, which obviously is the case in a lot of countries around the world, but hasn't traditionally been the case here in the UK. What, what would you say to sort of people who have any concerns along those lines? As you rightly said, it's the case in several other countries, uh, including in F4 championships, right? You know, if you look at Italy or the FFSA in France, you know, things like that. So uh, it's not unprecedented uh, in that sense. I think, you know, as I said, the, the direction I think from MSUK is very much about how do we make this a more proactive organization? You know, we don't want the organization to be something that people think about once a year when they have to renew their licenses or once a year when they have to renew their permits for events, which is basically what it is now. You know, no, nobody really thinks of the governing body for the rest of the year. Um, you know, they have a they think about it and they moan about the cost of the license once a year and, and then they forget about it. But to me, frankly, if that was the case, I wouldn't have bothered joining the board. I wouldn't have bothered joining the organization. Um, you know, as I said before, I think David and, and Hugh particularly have a a vision of the organization being more proactive and being more being more dynamic and being an organization that does more, you know, on a week to week basis for the sport and to improve and promote and invest in the sport. You know, ultimately, there's a there's a financial investment that that's being made here um which again as you say is unprecedented for msuk at this level you know they invested in a british car championship before and that cost a bit of money and uh, but not not at the same scale of what we're talking about here so uh, for me 
I think it's it's good to see the governing body. And what's been nice is the teams have actually, I think, recognized that and responded to that because, you know, we've been able to negotiate, um, you know, finance options with the teams. We've been able to to do deals with Toka and do deals with, uh, obviously, Tatis and Abarth and, and um, the tire supplier contract will be announced fairly soon. So there's, you know, because of the the size of the organization we've been able to put building blocks in place um using the links that we've got yeah definitely and like say it does bring so many different advantages and you you mentioned the british kart championships for example and that's one thing that you can create that real link there from karting up into single seaters which perhaps hasn't always been there necessarily in the past and as you mentioned obviously it is a change in uh chassis supplier and engine supplier for next year and it's now with the the, the tatus a bath combination it's in line with the, the sort of popular championships in in germany and, and italy was that quite a significant factor in going down that route would would you say i think ultimately you know it was the right decision um based on the feedback from the teams you know they it gives them the option right you know if if any of these teams now want to take that you know they could do a deal to do the 10 rounds of the british championship but then if they also want to take their drivers to go to mugello and paul ricard or whatever and do european rounds they can and you know that's been one of the downsides of let's say generation one uh in terms of the uk because both geographically and uh, in terms of this context we've been kind of on an island of our own with a miguel ford combination so you you know you haven't been able to go off and if the drivers want to go off and do spa and zandvoort and so the, for the teams, they've got a, a more interesting package to sell, right? They can sell a package of British Championship plus three or four rounds on the continent if the drivers want to do it. And that means that the cars are earning an income for them on more more weekends a year. So it's, it's potentially better business for the teams. Um, and it, it sort of negates one of the negatives as to why drivers were reluctant to come to the UK previously and wanted to go race um, on, on the continent because some drivers wanted to do more um, European circuits. So in this way, they get the balance of still doing good tracks, which teach drivers a lot by racing at, I think by racing at Alton Park and Brands GP and um, even Knock Hill, frankly. I mean, I raced there in F3 and, and you know, I, I learned a lot from driving around there because you have to you have to learn to sort of underdrive the car and underdrive the front end and try and, realize how you commit to the curbs and things like that and actually when you go driving there it prepares you quite well when you go to circuits like monaco or circuits like macau because you know they're narrow and and the car's moving around in an unusual way um so i, I think actually drivers learn a lot from driving at the range of circuits you have in the uk and the different weather and you know going winter testing at Alton park yeah it's not particularly appealing to the Brazilian kid who's come over from Sao Paulo. However, the drivers who have got the motivation and drive to succeed in F1 will stick it out. I mean, I, I, listen, and this is the benefit for me, right? I've been through this process recently. And, you know, the fact that I'm the youngest board member at MSUK uh, allows me this perspective where I can say, look, I came from India and I went and stood in the paddock in Pembury and hugged the tea urn because my hands were too cold to drive the car. But ultimately, it's good prep for what, you know, the rest of your career throws at you. Coming back to it, I think the, the answer on the car situation was that it gives, it gives a, you know, multiple opportunities for the teams and drivers. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And as you say, at the end of the day, British F4 is all about being a, a learning category, isn't it? So as many different opportunities that drivers can have, whether the, the benefits of Knock Hill or the benefits of, of Spa, two very different circuits, they've now got those those options open to them. But as we've, we've sort of talked about it, it is also the, the end of an era in the sense of Ford being a uh, major backer of UK motorsport. They've been around supporting single-seaters back since the late 1960s when Formula Ford was created. And I guess, Stefan, this is a, a sort of defining moment. It, it, it is an end of an era, and they, they have contributed so much to the sport over the years, and we, it's important to remember that at this point. Yeah, definitely. As you say, you know, it is, it is a shame. Um, you know, they've been around for, for decades and, you know, launched the careers of so many drivers up, you know, the, the single-seater path. Um, you know, to Formula One, you know, in this from the 70s, basically to the end of the 90s, Formula Ford, you know, in the UK was probably the place to come for, for young drivers. Um, obviously, time, you know, having said that, though, times change. And obviously, as McCroon said, you know, Ford were offered a chance to, to carry on and, and, you know, in some capacity. And, you know, obviously, they declined. It is a shame and it can't be, you know, overstated just how much they've helped young drivers. Um, but, you know, things things move on and it's important that, you know, we're not stuck in the past to some degree, you know, we do move with the times and, um, you know, we do look at ways that we can improve things for young drivers coming up into, you know, single season, hopefully, you know, onto, onto Formula One itself. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. British F4 is, is a learning environment and one of the things that Hugh Chambers has said on several occasions is about wanting to make it the best F4 championship in, in the world. And in in terms of your perspective, what do you think needs to be done or what is the key to allowing that to be the case moving forward? You know, there's various metrics by which you measure that. I, I think ultimately for me, what we have to do is create a championship which is able to give drivers the opportunity to climb up the ladder and be competitive in the same way that British F3 was the place to come to, um, you know, back in the day. And if you look at the current Formula One grade, or if you look at the Formula One grade of the last four or five years, you look at how many drivers have come through um, racing in some form of, you know, junior formula in the UK versus let's say 15 years ago, it's much less, you know, 15 years ago, Pretty much everybody came through here. So um, Formula 3 is now well and truly established in the FIA Championship, right? You're never going to replace that. And I don't think we should ever be looking at this with rose-tinted glasses. But to Hugh's point, what we can do is is highlight the fact that actually racing in the UK, you've, actually, you've got very good teams. You know, you don't have to just be with Prima or Van Amersfoort to be winning. <laughs> um, you know, it's not just one or two teams. You, you can go with, as we've seen this year in F4 and in uh, GB3, you know, there are five, six, seven teams you can go with and, and still compete to be on the podium and, and, and win races. So you're not, you know, first of all, as a driver, you're under less pressure to try and get that big budget deal with the top team straight away. I think we've got a good, good, uh, solid base of teams. 
I think they're great tracks, uh, as I highlighted before. I think they've got a great range of tracks. You've got a great range of weather conditions uh, to learn on. Um, I think, you know, running on the Toka Tour brings pressure. You know, you, you learn to cope with the pressure of racing in front of crowds, in front of uh, the media, in front of live television, which you don't have when you're racing in the Italian Championship, things like that. Um, and one of the, the key things that we have really talked a lot about with the teams um, and, and, you know, I should highlight that one of the first things I did was work with uh, MSUK to commission an independent report and a review across the F4 landscape in Europe. And, um, you know, we got some independent engineers to go out and speak to all the teams in Europe and also in the UK and, and you know, draw us a picture. And one big um, issue that seemed to come up again and again from drivers actually and driver managers was discrepancies in terms of engine performance um, in the Italian and the German championships. You know, the the teams are talking about buying 15, 20 engines or turbos and then dynoing them and choosing the best five for every race weekend. And there's a huge amount of cost being spent into, you know, making sure that they've all, they've all got a power unit that is, um, you know, able to deliver them the same performance as everybody else. And we looked at it and, and you know, uh, spoke to all the teams here in the UK and asked their opinion on what we can do, because that becomes a, a USP for us, right? If we can create a championship in the UK, which is creating more equal opportunity to be competitive than, um, than the other championships, that's a USP for drivers and driver managers to come here. And so we, um, the teams here highlighted the fact that, you know, Neil Brown Engineering over the last three years have done a great job with the Ford engine um, and worked with Roger Ratley and people like that to create this, uh, the system of equi equivalency, basically, uh, you know, this, the engines are equalized twice a year. They look at the data every weekend and make sure that everyone stays within a, a very tight tolerance of performance. And you don't really have these situations here in the UK Championship, you know, where you have one or two cars which have significantly more power than the others, which, you know, seems to be the case based on the information I heard from drivers and, and driver managers and teams, in fact, in the European Championship. So we're again putting systems in place for next year um, where, you know, Auto Technica in Italy will be working with a UK partner um, you know, to make sure that a the pool of engines are here. Uh, so logistically, it's easier for the teams with Brexit and things like that. We want everything to be based in the UK, uh, and two to work on the equalisation. So um, you know, I think there's between the building blocks of good teams, good tracks, you know, high profile package and equalised um, you know performance. I think there's four very strong USPs there for why drivers should be competing here. Uh, in the in the championship and I think finally you have to recognize that you know seven out of the ten Formula One teams and their academies are based here in the UK and that's the you know the benefit of obviously people like David and Hugh and, and myself who've worked in F1 is you know we've already gone out there and engaged with all of the teams and said look uh, including people like Ferrari by the way who aren't based here and explain to them these are our plans this is the championship we're putting together you know, we'd like you to start placing drivers here in the UK again and start, you know, looking at, um, you know, 
placing the young driver programs back into the UK championships. It may not, you know, probably won't happen in 2022 because we need to reestablish um, and, and get a baseline. We have to set a, the new baseline for the championship. But down the line, it'll be great to have the Red Bull drivers and the Mercedes drivers and the Renault juniors and people like that coming to start racing the UK again, which they haven't been doing for the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's obviously one of the sort of real targets moving forward, isn't it? To get create those links once again with the championship and the next levels all the way up to F1 and really sort of highlight those those opportunities and, and that sort of career pathway. And as we as Karun mentioned earlier, the, the whole situation surrounding uh, drivers coming over from Europe, from further afield even, to, to compete in the UK, it's not the case now as it was a couple of decades ago where everyone did compete um everyone who sort of progressed up to f1 more or less had raced in in britain at some point or other and and stefan how important do you think it is that we we sort of get back to that situation where britain once again is seen as a, a real sort of proven ground and the place to be it is important for um, motorsport in the UK and obviously from Karun's point of view, motorsport UK, obviously, you know, we want to be attracting the, the best talent from across the globe. Um, you know, as I think Karun said, 15 years ago and, you know, before that, you know, the UK was seen as the place to come to compete in motorsport, either through Formula Ford or, you know, British Formula 3. And um, that's changed for, you know, a variety of reasons, I think, um, for drivers now, it seems to be more appealing to race on these European circuits um speaking to some drivers you know who have done gb3 what was british f3 and have also raced in europe you know they see a massive difference in terms of you know from their point of view i think it's much easier and almost safer to to it's not safer but there's there's more leeway with runoff areas at these tracks and you know as we see with track limits whereas as karun said you know an alton park or a knock hill you know they're, they're much more demanding which you know for a driver you know should be a real challenge but unfortunately a lot of drivers you know perhaps don't see it that way anymore which which is a shame um you know hopefully the the changes that are happening in british f4 are going to be more appealing you know um to bring people in parity is a huge huge thing um in junior single seaters because you know the budgets these you know um drivers are you know their parents are having to fork out is is you know it's not a small amount of money really um, you know, and you don't want to be beaten by somebody who you think has got a, a better engine, for example. You know, so to, to make sure that there's parity and also that the car's reliable, you know, just as an example we've seen in Formula 2 this year, um, you know, I, I think it's the third or fourth year with this current generation of car. Um, and, it, you know, it's still having technical issues, which at that level is, is, is not something, you know, that, that you want really because obviously the amount of money that these people are putting in you're expecting the cars to be all equal and to you know you to have a fair shot with reliability. Um, so yeah, so going back to you know your question about trying to bring you know international drivers and you know even just British drivers making sure they stay you know in the country and want to compete in the country is a massive you know massive thing and hopefully these changes will work. I think what Karun says about being able to take these new British F4 cars and race them in Europe is is a big selling point. Um, and certainly for the likes of Carlin and Hitech who have those resources to, you know, to do more than one campaign in, you know, two different countries, for example, you know, and drivers who have that budget, that'll be a real appeal to them. Um, and it hopefully means that, you know, we're getting the best young drivers from across the world and Britain wanting to compete in British F4. We have to create the ladder, right? Um, you know, for example, I think GB3 does a great job. You know, they have a, 
it's they run you know Giles and his team at MSV run a very good championship. Um, you know they've got a price point where they sit nicely between F4 and uh, Freca. Um, you know the uh, Formula Regional, I should call it. So you know for drivers who can't afford the budget to go from F4 to Formula Regional and up to F3, they can go F4 to to GB3. Um, and then make a career in in sports cars or GT racing and go to LMP3 or you know some go take their path in a different direction because you know that's the other thing we have to recognize is you know the pool of drivers who start in F4 versus the pool of you know and then across I think it's now 13 championships isn't it F4 around the world that pool of drivers versus the 30 that actually get to FIA international F3 is much smaller so you you know you have to create the national pyramid as well that that you know for the drivers who don't have the opportunity and budget to move across to the um, up the FIA single seater pathway yeah no that's a very good point and obviously GB3 being on the same package as British GT naturally creates that that sort of link into the the GT side there so you've always exactly. got those those sort of partnerships and and sort of connections already building at, at that stage and obviously it's a an exciting time with lots happening, lots of changes, uh, lots going on. But also there's there's still sort of uncertainty about some of the, the, the finer details. So, Karun, when do you expect the, the sort of clear picture for F4 2022 to, to become sort of finalised and those sort of last details that the teams are perhaps still waiting for that official confirmation? How far do you think we are off off that point? I'm not entirely sure which details you're talking about because... You know, if you look at the four major building blocks of chassis, engine, race package, and and tires, those four deals are pretty much in place. You know, not all of them are announced, but they're all pretty much done in place. You know, the commercial model is is unfolding as it goes. Uh, teams have already started ordering cars from from Tatus. Um, you know, the the engine agreement in terms of the UK support and tuning and, and equalization is is pretty much there. Um, you know, I think really the major building blocks are in place. We've got, um, you know, in terms of people and series coordinators and, and organizers, I agree, you know, those are, there's still a few holes in terms of personnel that need to be filled. Um, but there's, you know, I can tell you that the interview is happening even tomorrow for, for people to fill PR and comms roles and all those sort of things. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously an ongoing thing. Um, you know, the, there's, there are uh, two or three different people, I think, that have been uh, that are being negotiated with for the spares contract because you've got to make sure that the teams are, you know, have a, a good spares partner to supply them in the UK again, avoiding any delays with Brexit and imports and things like that. So, you know, they, yeah, there's a huge amount of work to do. Um, and, uh, you know, there will be a huge amount of work to do throughout the entire project for the, for the next, you know, how many ever years. So uh, that's not going to stop. But I think, um, I'd like to think, you know, we had a, another team meeting um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was before I went to Spa. And, uh, you know, we had you know, a lot of the teams at uh, the Bistor office. You know, we had people like, like high tech and stuff who were on the road joining in on Zoom. And we had a really good meeting where they, you know, they offered, um, because what we don't want to do is is just go off and make these decisions without them. You know, we, we really need the teams to give them, give us their feedback. And 
Um, and we've asked them as well to be brutally honest and, and pull no punches. But at the same time, we want to end the meeting with a consensus on a decision. You know, we don't, we don't, we want to hear everybody, we want to hear everyone's opinion and we want to have a bit of a vote and make a decision. And, you know, um, for example, there was a long conversation, I could tell you, on on tires, for example, and testing, for example, and um, the number of cars per team. You know, these are all big, you know, they're big topics that affect the team's plans and their budgets and the drivers and things like that. Um, and we really made sure that we had an open dialogue with the team and we'll carry on having open dialogues with the team, I think, with the teams. I think it's massively important to do that. Um, you know, and I'm fortunate that there are some teams I know better than others. You know, I've known people like Trevor and, and Double Boyo from Double R since I was nine years old. Um, and there are, people, there are people that I've only met now in this process. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to get a, a, a wide range of opinions. Yeah, definitely. That, as you say, that's such an important part of whenever you're making such big changes, it, you've got to involve those those sort of key players in in those decisions and and continue to do so moving forward. So, as we mentioned at the start, obviously there's a lot of changes happening at the moment in terms of single seaters in the UK, not just in British F4 but more widely as well. And from your perspective, Stefan, how do you think things are sort of shaping up from F4? in the context of the, the, the sort of wider situation? Yeah, it's an interesting time in, in single cities, I think. Um, obviously, you've got um, GB3, which was British F3. It's Jonathan Palmer's Motorsport Vision Championship that's run for a few years now. Um, and in the last couple of weeks, we've heard that um, he's going to be you know, launching a, another championship called GB4, which, you know, unsurprisingly, is going to be underneath GB3. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to sell it basically as a, an entry-level Championship, it's going to be using the old Tatus F4 machine. Um, Karun, it's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, from your point of view, I mean, do you sort of see this new championship as uh, GB4, that is, as a, as a rival, or is this something that is completely, um, you know, you're not sort of worried about in a way? Because obviously, I think from a price point of view, let's be honest, I mean, motorsport's not cheap, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's budgets needed no matter what level you enter at. But it sounds as though GB4 is going to be quite substantially cheaper than, than what British F4 is going to be next year. Next year, we're hearing sort of the £300,000 mark. For, for GB4, it's going to be half of that. What are your sort of thoughts about GB4 and it being a threat and possibly even taking drivers away you know, from British F4 next year? I think the offering is very different. You know, if, if you're a driver who's trying to climb the, the elite pathway to Formula 1... Then you go FIA F4, F3, F2, F1. Um, and frankly, if you want to get a WEC LMP1 drive, you know, now with a hypercar coming along and all of that, you know, that's quite buoyant. If you want to go to Indy cars, you still, I think, you need to, to hone your craft up the single-seater pathway. Um, and, and therefore, to me, the offering is very different. You know, you're talking about a new car with, and also from a safety standpoint with the Halo and the, the, the new safety devices. Um, you know, you you mentioned before the incidents in F1, but, you, you know, you only have to look at um, the crash they had in W Series a couple of weeks ago uh, at Eau Rouge. And, you know, unquestionably, the the halo, you know, saved a couple of drivers in that incident, um, I think. So, you know, there's, I think there's, it, the offering is very different, right? I think, you know, what, I, I haven't actually been that close to it, but 
from what I've, I've read in Autosport, actually. Uh, uh, the, the, the offering from GB4 is very much about, you know, using the older cars and, and, and creating a, a low-cost or lower-cost um, entry-level championship. You know, to me, actually, you know, we have national, there's a national form, the Ford Championship at the moment, isn't there? Um, where, you know, the budgets are about 100-ish thousand pounds. So, um, to me, in some ways, actually, if a driver's got a budget to do 100,000 for that and they can, you know, put together a bit more, that's the market that's going to go to to GB4. I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, equally, there might be a couple of drivers who don't have a budget to, you know, a full budget to do FIF4 because, of course, testing is the biggest cost comes in testing. You know, I think 50% of the cost comes in testing. So, you know, there might be drivers who don't have the budget to do FIA F4, um, and they might end up doing GB4. And that's that's just the way it is, isn't it? But I think ultimately, if you're a if you're a young Carter uh, or a driver from Ginetta Juniors who's who has ambitions of getting to Formula One and is dreaming of being a Formula One driver, then you have to get on the the elite pathway. And um, you know, it might be a case where, for financial reasons, you do GB4 for one year to get your you know, step into single seaters uh, before going to F four, but then from an age perspective, that doesn't work because you know F four by the F, way the FIA system works um, and from the way that the safety regulations work. My understanding is F four is the only one that can allow fifteen year olds in single seaters. So that you know straight away, if you come out of karting then FIA F4 is the only one with a halo and with the safety stuff that 15-year-olds can compete in, uh, in single-seater. So, you know, I think that's why I think the offering is quite different. And, and the drivers, let's say, from a financial position that can that can do and will do GB4 versus FIA F4 would be different. I still think the, the you know, the, the drivers who want to get to F1 with a super license system and things like that, will have to do FIF4 and that's part of the global system now yeah absolutely and we've sort of seen that more and more how just how important F4 FIF4 across the world has become and so that brings us to to the sort of close in terms of British F4 but obviously we're going to have an, another second part of this podcast at, at a later point where we'll be looking at some of the other changes to uh, the single seater landscape in Great Britain. So my thanks go to Karun and to Stefan for, for appearing on this podcast. Thank you guys. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This year is your year. Even if you also said that in 2022. And however you want to make a splash 
Mother Nature can help you every step of the way with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes made from premium, supernatural, weather-repellent materials. So you can jump into this year with both feet, rain or shine. The high-top uppers are made from temperature-regulating, moisture-wicking merino wool treated with durable puddle guard technology to keep you dry and comfy. And you can take confident strides with supernatural rubber treads that grip for all-conditioned traction and sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles that put a little bounce in each step. Allbirds is constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their earth-friendly materials. So even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, make a splash without worrying about getting your feet wet with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.